I've never met someone who said, so many people read my free ebook, I can't make a living. So the challenge for all of you, and we were talking about this earlier, is gain more respect, gain a bigger tribe, make more connections. And then I guarantee you, if you do that enough, you're never going to have trouble making a living. This is the Gently Mad, a show where I talk to and pick the brains of the smartest people running creative online businesses. Actually, not so much. If you're looking for that inspirational kick in the pants to help take your life and career to the next level, then this is probably not the place for you. To be perfectly honest, this podcast is about me. Hey, I'm Adam Clark and I'm your host. Thanks for listening. I do talk to people on this show, but instead of that double rainbow of success BS that you'll get in most entrepreneurial shows, we talk about failure, self-doubt, and all the insecurities that we all have that keep us from doing much of anything with our lives. If that sounds like your kind of thing, then head over to avclark.com slash TGM and subscribe. Any actionable advice or helpful tips are simply a byproduct and purely unintentional. What's up, my friends? Welcome to The Gently Mad. I'm Adam Clark. Thanks for listening. This is episode 43. I can't even keep track anymore of my own episodes. Today's kind of a special one because I've got Thomas Frank on the show, and then he interviewed me for his podcast, and he's releasing that episode today as well. We were going to try to, like, switch him up and, like, him release my episode on his show and... I would release his on mine, and I don't know. We were going to try to do something different, but it didn't quite work out. We just felt like the episodes fit better where they were originally intended. <laughs> so I've got Thomas Frank on the show today, and uh, in the show notes, if you want to check out the conversation where he interviewed me, that'll be over at his site at collegeinfogeek.com, but I'll have links in the show notes, which will be at avclark.com slash 43 you want to check those out um, as well as uh, the other stuff that we mentioned in the conversation but uh, it was a pretty cool conversation I, I gotta be honest I'm, I'm jealous of Thomas for a number of reasons he's 23 so I mean there's that I wish I was 23 again <laughs> but um, but he just got a lot going for him man the dude is really really smart and uh, part of what sparked our, our conversation was He's the co-host of a, of a podcast called Listen Money Matters, and, you know, he, he's all into this money management stuff, and I don't know about you, when I was 23, I was not thinking about how to manage my money better. I was uh, in college, because I went to college, uh, instead of 18, the typical, um, I had a full-time job when I was 17, and I worked that until I was about 22, when I decided hey, I want to go to college. So I up and went to college at 22. So when I was 23, I was just racking up student debt and living off credit cards and doing everything wrong. And and Thomas has got some pretty cool pretty cool stuff going. He's got this uh, um, this retirement plan thing. And when we went, we went into that whole thing, and I kind of expressed some of my distaste for some of the retirement planning people out there like uh, Dave Ramsey and some others. Nothing against those people personally, just, you know, the, some of the ways they approach money, I'm not a big fan of. But then, I I mean, hell, I have, I have no, um, I mean, I have no better option, I guess, because I'm terrible with money. 
absolutely terrible with managing money. And so I'm kind of envious of Thomas a little bit that he's, you know, at 23, he's already thinking uh, so much more smarter, smarter, smartly, so much more smartly than smarterly, whatever, what the hell ever, um, whatever you call it when someone is smarter than you, that's what I'm trying to say. And he's doing that at 23. And so it was, it was interesting to talk to him and, and, and find out about some of those things. And his website, College Info Geek, is a really cool thing he's got going on. He's published uh, or self-published an ebook um, called 10 Steps to Earning Awesome Grades. I mean, obviously, the website is focused at college students, but there's a lot there that is beyond just college students because, you know, a lot of the, the lessons that would apply to college students like productivity and teaching yourself how to learn and learning for the sake of learning and, and all that kind of stuff applies all throughout life and not just in college. But you should def- definitely check out collegeinfogeek.com. He's got some cool stuff. So he wrote this ebook and it's just kind of exploded his popularity in the online business scene, if you will. And it's really interesting. You know, at 23, he's got this site and he's able to live off the site completely, the money that that site makes. And just, just you know, he's doing stuff that I want to do. And I, I feel like he's so much farther ahead than me. But I don't know that he would agree with that necessarily. I mean, he's a pretty humble guy too, but I just, yeah, I was a little bit jealous. And it's just a good conversation. And it was fun that we were both able to kind of, I interviewed him, he interviewed me, and the, the the different ways that those conversations came out. I feel like I feel like uh, my conversation with him was a lot more on the philosophical in terms of uh, just finding meaning and purpose in life because I mean you guys know that that's what I think about all the time and that's what I tend to talk about all the time. Uh, it, it's uh it's a tough topic because I feel like I never get there. And even this weekend, you know, I'm thinking about the show and thinking about what I'm doing with the show and if it's going anywhere and if it's worth, you know, the effort that it takes to make it. And and then I go through and, you know, I get emails. I go through and look at um, emails people have sent me and, and how much uh, encouragement there is there. And, you know, it definitely, it definitely helps. It gives me some inspiration to keep going, keep doing the show. The thing is, you know, like Seth Godin talks about, you know, I, I used that Seth Godin clip at the top of the show because I felt like it applied to this conversation. You know, Seth Godin's point was that whatever reason we may think our business failed or whatever it is we're doing isn't working, it's usually not from working too hard at it. You know, and there's a difference between just sticking it out through a plateau or a dip, which I'm definitely in, and getting better. And I feel like I've been doing a lot of the former. I've been doing a lot of the just sticking at it, but I don't feel like I've been doing a lot of the getting better. You know, I'm not quite sure how to get better and to make each episode better than the last I sent out an email. If you're on the if you're on the list, then you'll have gotten that email. If you're not on the list and you want to get these emails and have these kind of conversations, then go to avclark.com and you can get in on that. But I sent out an email just talking about that exact thing. You know, how do we get better at the stuff that we're trying to do? And I feel like that's the key 
difference here is not just sticking it out through a dip or a plateau. It, it, it is just showing up. That's true. You know, you do have to show up and do the work, but you have to show up and do the right work. And I'm still trying to figure out what the right work is here. You know, everyone I talk to who listens to this show and asks them why they like it, why they listen, the answer is always because of the vulnerability and the honesty and the, you know, just the no holds barred, no bullshit. You know, this is what life is like trying to make a go at online business and entrepreneurship. And, you know, I still don't know how, how to get better at this or how to work on the right things. I'm trying to figure that out. And it'd be easy for me to get in these intros and just say, hey, you know, I've started this show and it's not even three months old and I've got thousands and thousands of listeners. And, you know, this month I, I'm able to make, you know, almost a full time living off of sponsorships um, way more than I've ever made before off of sponsorships. Usually, you know, for a lot of first time podcasters, you know, they might be able to make hundred bucks a month or something for sponsorships, but I'm making thousands of dollars a month in sponsorships and I could act like that's some big success and maybe I mean, it is a success, but it's still not, I don't know. It, it's still, it, it doesn't feel like the thing, you know, it doesn't feel like, like I'm satisfied. Like, you know, I, I've figured something out. I'm still stressed most of the time. Be and I guess maybe that comes down to the fact that, even with sponsorships, I've got to go out and sell those sponsorships and it's hard enough to, I mean, it takes so much time just to do the show as it is, let alone going out and finding sponsorships and sponsors who are willing to pay the rates that I charge, etc. And yeah, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with that. I'm really struggling with knowing where this whole thing is going. Cause I don't know. I honestly don't know. I'm, I'm kind of winging it. That's all I've been doing since the beginning. But the one thing I do know is that I really do enjoy having these conversations with people and I've got some great ones coming up and I can't believe we're already at episode 43. Um, the one thing that does make me feel good is that I have stuck with, well, just dropped my phone. Okay. Probably shouldn't be trying to fiddle with my phone while I'm recording an intro. Um, the one thing that I do feel good about is that I have stuck with it this long. Usually as soon as something gets hard, I quit because I don't like doing hard things. And there's plenty of other shiny objects to catch my eye and move on to doing something different. But I really want to stick with this. I want, I don't want to quit this. I want to, I want to stick with it. But more than that, I want to make it better. So, uh, one of the emails I sent out to the list was asking for input on that regard. I know most of you who email me, you're really only going to email me if you're a fan of the show and you've got something positive to say. If you have negative things or critiques, you're not as likely to email and let me know those things. But I really would like to know those things. I'd like to know how I can make this show better for you, the listener. And I know that everyone is different in this audience. There's a lot of variation here, but I'd like to know how the show could be better for you personally. So if you feel like helping me out and doing that, then shoot me an email at adam at avclark.com. All right. Uh, I hope you're having a good Monday, a good start to the week. 
I'm going to get right into this conversation with Thomas right after this brief word from our sponsors. The Gently Mad is sponsored today by Harvest. Harvest is a beautiful tool for time tracking, invoicing, and powerful reporting. I've been a Harvest customer myself for years now. And as I've said before, one of the greatest things I love about Harvest is the attention to detail when it comes to design. I, being a designer myself, I didn't want my invoices to look crappy. I didn't want to use a system for time tracking and report generating that didn't share the same aesthetic taste for design that I did. So I called up Danny Wen, one of the co-founders of Harvest, and all that design stuff is actually intentional. You know, when you take on a, a domain like uh, time tracking, you know, it's a thing that most people uh, find to be a hassle in the first place. Um, so we've spent a lot of uh, our time and energy over the last nine years to really make uh, the time tracking experience, make that as easy and convenient as possible. And so for us, that means really thinking about what the modern workflow looks like. Uh, is, the, is the customer um, not just on the web, but they're also on mobile, they're also in these other applications. Can we make the, the, the experience connecting all, all these different points um, as smooth and easy as possible so that at the end of the day, you're actually gonna get uh, accurate time tracking data. So whether you're a freelancer or part of a small team or even a large team, and you need to track time, send invoices and generate reports, and you care about doing it in an extremely user-friendly way, then Harvest is the place for you. You can go to getharvest.com and sign up for free. You get uh, the first month free. And by using the promo code TGM at checkout, you can get 50% off your second month. So go to getharvest.com, check them out, and thanks to Harvest for sponsoring the Gently Mad. We're also sponsored by Hover. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names. Seriously, they take all the hassle and friction out of registering a domain name. And if you're anything like me, then you tend to register quite a lot of domain names. I've mentioned before how I love the simplicity and ease of use that Hover gives me as a domain purchaser and the fact that they have a telephone number that you can call if you have a question or a need about anything you can call an actual number and get an actual human without long hold times or anything and that means a lot to me but there's a reason that Hover is able to operate that way. So one of the best things I think uh, for me at least is the size of the team. This is Michael Keshin, by the way, a Hover employee. So we actually have a pretty small team. It's funny because we're in a, so we're in a, a big building because we're owned by two cows. So there's a lot of uh, different, uh, different brands that operate within the company. Um, but with Hover, it, it sort of operates like a startup. So you have a lot of access to the key decision makers because there's only a few people uh, that can make them and they're all close, you know, we all kind of sit near each other. So it's, so yeah, just being uh, kind of quick and nimble and, and being able to really operate as a team that doesn't have, you know, like go over to that side of the building to talk to so this, the, this team head who will then approve it to that manager and all that stuff. So that doesn't really exist. And it, it really feels like, um, 
you know, everyone's on the same page and we all work together closely to, uh, to get things done. So if you've never used Hover before, seriously, just go to Hover.com and check it out. I don't think you'll be disappointed at all. In fact, if you're like me, then you're going to immediately move all your domains to Hover because that's what I did. If it's your first purchase at Hover, you can get 10% off your order by using the promo code TGM at checkout. Again, Hover.com. Check them out. Thanks to them for sponsoring the Gently Mad. All right, guys, this is it. This is my conversation with Thomas Frank. I know I mentioned it before and it will be in the show notes, but if you go to collegeinfogeek.com, you can check out Thomas's new book and you can get it for free. All right, let's talk to Thomas. are getting crazy yeah like in what way apparently fox business wants to interview me really interview about what um i was on u.s news about my like retirement goals basically that's crazy man like so what what is it about the retirement goals like uh were they just uh super interesting retirement goals (laughs) i guess like um basically i want to retire quote unquote at 40 Mm mm-hmm and I have like numbers actually planned out kind of roughly for what I would need to do that. So I want to basically save up uh, $900,000 in taxable investments in today's numbers off the like finagle them for inflation as I go on. But once that's there, uh, realistically, even at 5% income or 5% growth, as long as I could live on 4%, then it's self-sustaining. And 4% is 36K a year uh, as long as I'm frugal. I could do that. And I don't want to like retire, like lazily retire. I just want to sort of remove the whole correlation between the need to work and the need to live. Well, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what everyone's trying to do, I think. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, you, you totally understand it. Like you just want to build what you want to build and you don't want to have to think about the money, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the goal. Like when I was a kid, um, when everyone, anyone would ask me, what do you want to be when you want to grow up? I would always say independently wealthy, you know, um, as, <laughs> yeah. as a joke, but it was true because even then, like I knew like my type of personality, I'm just really curious and I like to learn things, but I, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's laziness in there too, but I like to, um, I just, uh, I I move on from things, you know, like something will strike my curiosity. Like, uh, all through my teens, I did that with musical instruments. You know, I'd be in a band, I'd play one instrument and, and then I'd be like, huh, I wonder what, I wonder what it'd be like to play the bass. So then I would just pick up the bass and I would spend time on that for a while. And then, you know, something else, you know, even career work stuff like doing web work, you know, I'd focus on one area and then something else would be interesting and I'd work on that. And, you know, I just kind of like chasing these interests, you know, and it's it's hard to do that unless you've got some sort of passive income or some sort of income that's there every month to pay the bills, regardless of whether you work or not. Because yeah, definitely. if you don't have that, then you've got to either have a day job, which makes that other part really hard or you've got to be making money from all these things you do, which really changes everything about it, like how you go about it. Yeah. And, and then once you've, once you've sort of satisfied your curiosity and ready to move on to the next thing, that's usually long before the thing is, you know, making money or, you know, financially stable. 
So yeah. And the tough. thing is like, you think that you can come home from work and like have enough time to work on it. And like, you do have time, but work plus cooking plus just every little thing that like gets into your life. I don't know. It just takes up a lot of time and you end up not having a whole lot of time left. I know, man. And then once you get to where you have a family, I mean, that's going to be, that's a whole new. Yeah. I used to think when I was in college that I was, uh, I was like so busy, you know, <laughs> I could never be, <laughs> I could never be any busier than this. Like, I'm just so busy. Yeah. And I look, I look back now, like with two kids and a third on the way and like four different businesses that I'm trying to grow this year. It's like, I look back now and I'm like, man, I'd give anything for as much time as I had at that stage. But you're not actually in college anymore. You, you're, you know, you're 20 now. What, where, how old are you now? I'm 23. You're 23. Oh man, if I was 20. <laughs> Wait a minute. Oh, I had it wrong. Yeah, you graduated in thirty oh, in in uh, 2013. So you would have been, yeah. So 23 is about right. So yeah. Um. So this plan you've got that's like 17 years, right? Yep. So what are like what what are the like, give me the short, the the five minute version of the plan. How do you plan to go from where you are now to nine hundred thousand dollars? Yeah, so I did some simple calculations, and these don't take into account inflation yet. But what I figured out was that nine hundred thousand dollars would, at a very conservative rate, grow at five percent a year, like super conservative estimate. More likely than not, it would grow at seven plus percent a year, uh, looking at the data we have in the market. So if you can get to 900K, uh, 4% of that is $36,000 a year, yeah. which is definitely enough to live on as a family, even if you're frugal. Um, if you don't own a house at that point, it may be a little more difficult. And yeah. I, if I like don't own a house at that point, which I think might be weird because I'd be 40, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I would have to sort of you know retool the goal. But assuming that I owned a house, all I had to pay was property taxes and then just ate frugally and lived a frugal life that wasn't based on spending a ton of money, then that could be self-sustaining. And uh, to do that, I would basically need to save on average $25,000 a year into taxable investments uh, between me and my girlfriend, assuming we stay together. You know. So but from this year on, for the next 17 years, you'd have to save $25,000 and yes. that would get you there basically. Yep, based on the uh, the compound interest calculations and all that jazz. Yeah, um, well, because that's so that that's about double. I mean, that's about action. that's. I mean, that's almost that's saving about almost four hundred fifty thousand. So you're expecting it to kind of double over the, over the over the course of the seventeen years, basically. Yeah, that's crazy, man. How long have you been thinking about? Well, well that's not crazy. I mean, that's actually um, really cool. But like, how long have you been thinking about this? Like. This kind of stuff, like, you know, wanting to, re quote, retire. In other words, basically what you're saying is financial freedom. You know, you're not really talking about retiring, yeah. but just by the time I'm 40, I want to, you know, as you said, uh, not have my income tied to uh, any work that I do. So, like, how long has that been in your brain, that idea? You know, I, it's been a couple of years, maybe more than that, since I kind of got this idea that I wanted to be financially independent I uh, wanted to be able to do what I wanted to do creatively. And I, it hasn't been as fleshed out until recently. Um, but when I became the co-host of Listen Money Matters, then I started thinking a lot more about the hard numbers. Yeah. And then I saw that Mr. Money Mustache had retired at 30. And I'm like, that was I guess that was kind of the inspiration. Like he <laughs> provided the hard numbers. Like this is how my family lives on X number of dollars a year. 
And this is how much we had to save up. And we did it. And I was like, okay, I can do that too. Like it doesn't yeah. seem that difficult, you know, as long as I save, um, you know, well every single year. What do you think about like the whole, I don't know, do you, I guess it depends on the personality of the person, but like, are you the type, like, so you strike me then as someone who you like to plan and think uh, long term, you know, plan way ahead and, you know, mm. set goals, achieve goals, et cetera. Is that kind of, is that your personality? You kind of do, you kind of live life that way? Mm, partly. <laughs> it's funny. Those like, what are those called? The Myers-Briggs tests. They always ask that kind of question. Like, are you a long-term planner or are you a spontaneous individual? Yeah. Um, for most things, I try to be a long-term planner. I try to be very mindful of what my life will be dependent upon now and in the future. But I'm also pretty spontaneous. Yeah. Like the video I was going to make this week changed topic entirely yesterday. So. Yeah, but I, I don't mean that so much as just like, like for me, I, I'd have a really hard time with a 17 year plan, you know, mm. and for me, a 17 year plan would, would basically put me at like 52 at this point. <laughs> but yeah. um, um, I just like, uh, like what I just described to you, like my sort of curious nature, um, that'd be really tough to think, you know. Um, I, I'm going to kind of box myself in like this, but now maybe you're not really boxing yourself in. I mean, maybe your goal is just, you know, 20, I got to save $25,000 a year, but given, even if that is the goal, $25,000 a year, that's a lot of money to save for most people. You know, that's, um, a lot of, uh, a lot of cash to set aside. Mm -hmm. Um, um, unless you've got some sort of like crazy, you know, corporate, job, which I don't think that's what you want. So what's your plan to save 25 grand a year? I mean, your current, we didn't even start the right, this thing the right way. <laughs> I don't even think, I don't even know if anyone who's listening to this knows who you are yet. So, well, but tell me, and then we'll get to that part, but I'm curious, you know, you, you run college info geek, you know, you've got kind of your entrepreneurial things going on. Um, do you see a straight line from where you're at now to being able to save that much a year or, or are you going to have to start doing some new things to generate that money? You know, it's a funny, that's a funny question. So, uh, right now I can't do that. Yeah. So it will definitely have to be sort of, uh, as much as I can now and then like increasing the contributions as I get older to account for what I wasn't able to put in at a younger age. I see. I think so, if I really yeah. tried really hard, I could get close this year. But okay. I would be pretty frugal. And uh, the one thing is I'm not going to let this limit my professional growth. So I'm not going to live like on ramen and never travel and all that kind of stuff just to say the dollar amount every year because I know there's a lot of investment I can do outside of, you know, monetary investments, like education and networking and things like that. Yeah. See, that's one thing. I'm just going to betray all my, you know, terrible... Uh, see, I've always been terrible with money and I'm going to, you know, uh, basically betray that right now. But <laughs> there's the whole there's the whole sort of Dave Ramsey philosophy tribe. I mean, I'm sure uh, being into financial stuff, you know who Dave Ramsey is. So, um, oh, yeah. you know, his whole thing of like uh, live like no one else right now. So someday you can live like no one else, you know, and, yeah. and all those kind of cheesy things. And I've always felt. This may sound so ignorant and anyone who's listening who has any sort of like financial experience is probably just going to, you know, slap themselves on the forehead when they hear this. But I'm always like, to me, that just seems like backwards. Like, why would I want to spend, why would I want to 
spend the first 50 years of my life when I'm young and I've got kids and, you know, all those years when things should be fun, you know, living um, like, you know, living this incredibly hard life so that one day when I'm old, I have, you know, I can I can have a boat. I mean, that, that doesn't make any <laughs> like I don't get the whole like spend your whole life, you know, being miserable so that there's a few years when you're old and you can't do anything anyway that then you can you can have a Rolex and, and drive a Mercedes. I mean, what's the point yeah. of that? And I know I know that's not what you're saying, but I'm curious to get your thought on that, that whole idea of spend your whole life just scrimping and saving and and forcing yourself to, as you said, eat ramen noodles and just, you know, live um, this really disciplined, uncomfortable life so that one day, once your kids are gone, your family's gone, and you're old and wrinkled, then you've got a big bank account. Like, how is that? Uh, uh, why is that? I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get it. You know? Yeah, that's really reminiscent of that story that they have, like, up in the Jimmy John's about the dude who's just, like, laying on the beach, hanging, like, hanging out, doing nothing. <laughs> and then the businessman comes up, and he's like, why are you laying on the beach? You could be fishing. The guy's like, all right, well, why? Well, because if you fish, you can sell the fish, and then you can buy a boat. And then with that money, you can buy a fleet of boats and then you can build a huge, gigantic empire and sell it and become rich. And the guy's like, why would I want to do that? So then you can lay on the beach all day. <laughs> what you're already doing. Exactly. Um, but and I know that like the characterization <laughs> that I just made is is a characterization. You know, it's a, it's not. I'm sure that if I said that to Dave Ramsey, um, which. I hope to have him on the show someday soon, but um, it's it's not. Uh, he would say that's not what I mean, and and I know that's probably yeah. not what he means. But I'm just talking about in general. This, I guess, I think that the sort of delayed gratification model, um, there is some like moral value or merit to that. But I guess I'm thinking like you know, um, I want to enjoy the time between now and fifty when my kids are at yeah. home and they're here with me, and you know, so. What do you see as the point of, you know, just making life really hard through your 20s and 30s and 40s so that then when you're older, you have more money? Like, like kind of like sell me on it. Like, you know, you, you know a lot more about <laughs> money than I do at a much younger age. So you're much better off. But like, what's what is the like, what would be the positives of that besides besides being older and 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 being taken care of, you know, if you had an accident and you couldn't work, well, then you'd have money, you know, obviously those are the obvious benefits. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to try to sell you on that as like an extreme. I think every, like most philosophies you'll come across will have the romantic edge. Yeah. But then like, there's like the, the, the sane middle where there's yeah. like some it's well, that's what I'm saying. That makes sense. What's so the let me, sane let me middle here? That part. <laughs> that, that's what. That's what I'm kind of asking. Like, what's the sane middle of what I'm? I'm describing a caricature, and you know, what's yeah. what's the sane middle for you? I think the sane middle is to define some goals that will make your twilight years enjoyable and sustainable, and uh, not kill you from starvation or make you a burden to your children. But you know, you don't you at the at the other end of the spectrum, you don't want to get unrealistic, right? Oh, I'm totally like, planning on being a burden to my children. <laughs> That's what they get. They've been a you know, they're a burden <laughs> I was about to say they're a burden to me, which is not true. Me for eighteen years. Yeah, exactly. No, I so love you my kids. Me for 18 years. Exactly. No. <laughs> Except for at the end of my eighteen years, that's when you get to change my diapers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's, yeah, that's pretty so much what I'm, it is. 
I'm in the middle. I don't want to be driving a roll. I don't want to drive a Rolex, and I don't want to wear, uh, you know, Aston Martin on my wrist or anything you, like that. You don't want to drive a Rolex <laughs> or wear an Aston Martin. Did you say that on purpose? I did. <laughs> nice. Um, but I also don't want to have to move in with my kids that I don't even know that I'm going to have. I don't want to yeah. be sitting on the street. You know, I want. I have a certain goal, which is to be able to live at a sane standard of living for the rest of my life until I biologically naturally die. And hopefully that's as far off as possible. Um, well, and I'm sure that, that you, I, I keep interrupting you, but I mean, <laughs> yeah. sorry about that, but um, I'm sure that you have like, as you said, you're not going to let this stop, you know, opportunities. So I'm guess. so are you saying like for you, this is like, this is a goal you have to save $25,000 a year, you know, but if there's some amazing opportunity that comes along that you really, really want to be a part of or do, and it meant that this plan had to change, um, um, is that okay? Is that how you're thinking about it? Or, or is it more rigid, like, I'm saving $25,000 a year till I'm 40, no matter what happens? Um, I think I would, I would be flexible. Yeah. I don't think life needs to be a rigid plan. It's well, not a story. It can't be. It can't, <laughs> it, it can't be because we don't know what the next, you know, the next chapter is going to be, you know? So it's, it's almost, it's impossible. I mean, we can try to force a rigid plan on it, but anyone who's my age, mid thirties knows that it doesn't, <laughs> as much as you want to force it, it doesn't always work out that way, you know? Oh, I know. And so Andrew and I just interviewed this, uh, lady named Stephanie Kirkpatrick. And I think she works for LearnVest and she's like a financial planner and she's just about to have a baby. So we did the whole episode about like family planning and how plans change. And I was asking them, like, is there going to come a point when I like get maybe around 30 where I'm just really going to want kids? Because right now they're not in the equation. And I know my retirement goal will need to, you know, adapt a bit or maybe I'll need to increase my income to keep keep going towards it with kids. And uh, we had the discussion. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very aware that my plan may change. I may not retire at 40. Who knows? Well, you um, might have kids even if you don't yeah. plan to have <laughs> we, we've got we've got a third one on the way that uh definitely was not uh not not planned you know i mean something mm. happened i mean we've uh we've had two we have two seven and six yeah and um as i like to joke you know the uh uh the the, the pullout method has worked for six years but it, it something happened this time so <laughs> those little sperm will find a way that i just crossed the line with this show i don't know it's it's explicit already but I don't know if that's too far, you know. Now I'm I don't describing. Think it's too far? Do you think it's too far? Now I'm describing <laughs> sex, so I don't think it's too far. Hey, it's my show. Somebody's can... just like listening to this at work, and they're super conservative, banking like <laughs> on the loudspeakers for whatever reason. What, one of my Christian friends is listening to this and go, and is just you know shriveling away in disgust that I just, cover the ears that I just. Oh got, no, I have earbuds in. It's I just got working. that explicit, you know, about uh, sexual technique. It is a technique, okay, and it works. At least it did for six <laughs> years, and now I've got a third, third child on the way. But um, anyway, well, he has to fail once, man. <laughs> that's what I need to do, man. I'm in the wrong. I've got the wrong podcast. I need like a sex talk podcast. You know that. You that's go. that's what everyone wants to listen to, or every guy anyway wants to listen to. Yeah, actually, probably not. Probably most guys would rather just be doing it than listening to uh, a podcast about it. Probably. But there's like a YouTube channel called Sexplanation. That's pretty big. I don't know what the demographics are for that one though. Is it like a scientific sort of like thing though? Like, you know, Hey, we're going to be adults about this and, and, and talk about this scientifically, or is it like gratuitous? No, she's, she's definitely, um, very 
clean about it. But I don't know if it, I don't know if it's like scientific. Like here's the anatomy. It's more like <laughs> this is what you should know about consent. Those kind of things. It's so funny with my own kids. Like my my oldest daughter Izzy, who's seven. She was wanting to play this game on the iPad, and and it was like a doctor, a baby doctor game where you get to like deliver the baby, and mm. um, before, and it's like she she knows what my objections are. I mean, like I didn't have any objections. I didn't say anything. She brought the iPad to me, and she's like, "Listen, look, you don't see anything. Like you don't see the baby being like coming out or anything like that. You just, you know, you just get to like cut the cord and and do some fun things like that. But you don't you don't actually see anything. And it's like." How do you know what you're supposed to see anyway? <laughs> I mean, I mean, how do you know what you're not supposed to be seeing anyway? You know, I mean, you're only seven, Uh-oh. and I haven't had that talk with you yet. So <laughs> it's like, it's like, oh man, it's uh, but yeah, kids will happen, dude. Like, man, I don't know. An interesting thing, like the thought of raising kids where the internet is everywhere. I don't know what to do. Like, I'm like, serious. Like, yeah. I, I I can't get over the fact of how different their lives already are and are going to be i mean like they've never known an existence without um without an iphone and an ipad yeah. like they, they've they've my oldest daughter was born in 2007 when the first one came out and so like just the the world we live in now this always connected always turned on you know iphones attached to the hip and you know Instant, you know, uh, you know, if you have a moment downtime, you should pull out your phone and you can mm. check social media or play a game. Instant access to information, like they've just never known a time without that. And I guess it's positive. I don't know, but it scares me in some ways because I think, yeah, it's just like they're gonna. It makes me feel like they're gonna grow up so much faster, like than I did yeah. because. I, we didn't even have the internet. The internet wasn't even around until I was like 16, you know? I mean, mm. I didn't, I got my first cell phone and it was like, it was the size of a brick and it, you got like 30 minutes a month for like a hundred dollars a month. And I mean, and I didn't, I didn't, I, that was like when I was 17 when I got that. And, um, you know, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I worry, I don't know. You think about those kind of things? I do though. Right now the plan is to not have kids. So yeah. I don't think about it too much, but yeah, I, I try to consider it. So the you know plan, the plan is not, oh, go ahead. What's interesting? Oh, I was going to ask you, um, we've both been on the internet for a long time. Have you gotten to the point where like pulling out your phone and, and just fiddling around like no longer is a temptation? I don't know. Or maybe like it's, it's not like interesting not, anymore. Yeah. Like, I'll go to the bathroom and I'll pull up my iPhone and be like, all right, time to distract myself. And then I'll just like stare at the apps and be like, there's nothing I want to open right now. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> no, I totally do that. It's just like, it's like, uh, we don't, we don't have uh, cable or anything like that. We used to at one point, but you know how it is if you have cable or you used to, you know, you don't watch anything. You just sit there flipping channels for an hour, you know, mm-hmm. and it's the same. Yeah. I, I do the exact same thing now. And, you know, um, it's a temptation when you're doing the kind of work that you and I do. Like we, we try to make a living off of the content we make and the things we produce. So there's always like stats that you could be checking and, you know, yeah. um, download numbers for a podcast or, you know, responses to surveys that you set, you know, in this type of business comments on your blog. I don't have a blog. You have a blog though, but mm-hmm. I mean, um, there's all that stuff to always be checking, let alone just social media, and I don't know, I've tried to, I've tried to stop doing that. I've tried to like, 
if I got to run to the bathroom, I got to do something, you know, um, take a break or something just to grab a book or something instead of, yeah. instead of take my phone because yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I don't, I, so, something it's, it's definitely changed. I, I don't, I don't like it and I don't like how I am. Mm-hmm. So have you ever had that feeling like where like you're afraid to check your inbox, you know, cause like maybe you had <laughs> yeah. a client project or you've had something and you're just, you're stressed out and you're, and you, you look down there and it's got that little red icon with like three and you're afraid to check because it's, you're afraid, you know, it's going to be that client or that person mm-hmm. that needs something from you and you don't have it ready yet. And I yes. just, I just hate that. I hate like how I'm tied into it that way. It's like, you know, I've been so tempted to be one of those people to like get rid of my iPhone and just, you know, go back to having just a regular old phone for communication purposes. Like if my wife needs me while I'm out or something, but not be connected, no email, Mm -hmm. no Facebook, no any of this stuff. Like if, if, if I need that, I have to be at my computer, you know? But another part of me feels like, how do we live in today's world without that? I mean, do you think it's really possible or is it only possible for those crazy sort of, you know, I'm going to do a year without the, and it almost feels like they do that just so they can write an article about it on the internet and get (laughs) more famous, you know? (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of what I've gotten. Like the feeling I've gotten every time I've seen one of those, like, well, you're doing it as an experiment with the intention to write an article about it. (laughs) To boost your, boost your connection and audience even more. But I don't know. Have you ever been tempted to do that? Um, no, I think this is another thing where the philosophy becomes romantic at the edge. Like, I'm going to be a minimalist and sell all my things and only have a 100 things because that's a nice pretty number. And I'm going to downgrade to a dumb phone and not use the internet. Um, going back to that same middle, I've just found that if I, I, I don't know, I just, I feel like I only want to check my stats on my computer now. So my phone is just kind of, looking up things when I need to device Google maps and, and like texting and calling friends, you know? Well, do you think like, well, I guess for maps and things you'd have to have a, what I was going to say is, is do you need an iPhone for what you do on your phone? Or do you think you could, cause I would imagine that right there is probably a lot of people's, um, nowadays that's a huge, uh, an expense if you think about it you know a family and you've got kids and everyone has iphones and so you're on some massive ass you know at&t plan that costs like a thousand dollars a month or whatever you know (laughs) i'm I'm exaggerating it doesn't cost that much but it's just like it's 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 still ridiculous when you think about it i mean think about 15 well 15 years ago you were eight so that doesn't (laughs) but but for me like I think back to the days, like the idea of paying two hundred fifty dollars for a cell phone bill, you know. I mean, and now we think that's actually not bad, man. Two hundred fifty bucks, you have four lines, you have unlimited everything. I mean, that's that's good, right? Mm-hmm. It yeah. still seems it seems extravagant to me. It's like, man, I, when I sit down, I think about really, I'm paying that much for my cell phone, you know. And you know, it's funny though, when you upgrade from whatever you used to have, like that becomes the new norm. And you, well, yeah. you don't want to think about downgrading like uh, like we are getting ready to move into uh, like a rental house. We're like looking for one. Yeah. And right now I live in this like the cheapest apartment complex in my town. Um, like my room is pretty nicely designed because of the way I, I put like the furniture and everything. But it's pretty basic everything like the countertops yeah. are not anything special. Like the, the flooring is very like beat up. 
And yeah. we don't care, right? We're happy with it. But like, I'm looking at all these houses and I'm like, oh, we need to have like nice countertops and nice, you know, yeah. uh, showers and all that kind of stuff. And that's, I don't want to accept anything old and basically. That's the thing, man. It's, <laughs> it's culture. It's like I was reading an article the other day that, um, or it was either an article or there's a great podcast called uh, Seth Godin's Startup School. And it's, oh, yeah. it's just like, it's only like 15 episodes and it's basically just a recording of a of a few days he spent with some entrepreneurs and anyone who hasn't listened to it, go listen to those 15 episodes because, uh, it's just gold. I mean, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm someone like I would pay money for Seth Godin to have a podcast. I would just, <laughs> I would love to listen to him talk every day, you know, even though I get his, but anyway, that, that podcast is, um, is great. And it, maybe it was in there that he that I heard this and not in an article that I read, but, um, it's the uh, it's the placebo um, effect, you know, the whole thing where, you know, like experiments have been done that, you know, like the, the bottle of wine stuff, you know, if someone pays $90 for a bottle instead of 10, you know, they actually do think it tastes better. Even when tests, you know, mm, they, yes. they, they switch the wine and they still think it tastes better because... It's the placebo effect. They they think it's better because it costs so much more money, and and that's the same thing we do with everything in life. Like we we think that having a Mercedes or an Audi or as you said, you know, granite countertops or whatever, <laughs> or or a seventy inch you know four K TV. You know, we think all those things will make us happier because that's what culture sells us. You know, yes. Um, I mean that's that's culture selling us a, a $90 bottle of wine, you know, and we just mm -hmm. assume this will make us happier because this is what everyone is chasing. Everyone is chasing this stuff. So we just, we're like, a, it's like a herd mentality. You know, we just go along with, and it's so hard yeah. to break out of. And when I think back, like I got my first cell phone when I was 14, it was like a track phone where I had to pay for minute cards. Yeah. And I had like, 20 minutes on the phone at a time and would just like budget those minutes sparingly. I was sad. I mean, I obviously wasn't amazing, but I was satisfied. And now I have this crazy iPhone thing. So the one caveat I will say is that I kind of like run a business and I do a lot for my phone. And if needed, I could do almost anything I needed to within my business from my phone. Mm -hmm. So I will keep it for that reason. It definitely makes my life easier and I'm willing to spend that money. Yeah, but yeah, it just makes me think. I've been doing some purposeful downgrading recently. Yeah, so like, uh, I got into Scotch, and I didn't want to let myself go into like high level Scotch because I knew I'd get used to it. So I, I like fixed myself at like thirty five dollars a bottle, and that was it. And then I was like, why don't I just try cognac too? And Hennessy's like the same price, so yeah. I got a bottle of that. It's amazing. And then I was like, what if I just downgraded and tried like a fifteen dollar bottle? So I did it. Honestly, not that bad. Like, not as good, but I think, like, if I just said I'm not going to buy worth this the expensive money. stuff, yeah, at $15 a bottle, it's still, I, I, it is pleasurable to drink it. And I'm saving over, you know, I'm saving over half the price. So what, you know, um, um, I guess I guess we should get to where we should have started is, you know, for people who don't know you or whatever, um, you know, uh, you run this website, College Info Geek, as I mentioned. What 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 is it that you do? How do you make money right now, basically? Uh, right now, it's through like advertising and referral stuff. 
um, on a few articles. So I have like Amazon, web hosting from my WordPress tutorials, and let's see here. Um, but I mean, you've got you've got you got this website like hmm. where you're you're publishing content for college yeah. students, and you know you just wrote a book. And I think that's free though. But yep, the book's um, free. Yeah. So. Uh, but this website, uh, but you don't have a, have you ever had a, t- a regular day job kind of thing? Uh, I've never had a like full time perpetual job, I think. Mm-hmm. So I have had, I've had multiple, multiple part time jobs. I've had a full time internship and then all my freelance and things like that. But I've never like since graduating, I've been self-employed, I guess is the best way to put it. So I did a full-time job at, for over a summer. Yeah. And so this, uh, with College Info Geek, how does that, um, as you said, your book is free. You put out tons of free content, articles, videos, all kinds of stuff aimed at college students and helping them be better college students. Um, uh, how do you, gen- you started to say it, how do you generate income from that? Is it, is it mostly like um, affiliate type stuff or where does the... Where does the money come from, from, from that site that is not only going to allow you to live for a year, but save $25,000 on top of that? Yeah. So right now it's the affiliate things. And like I said, it won't, it will definitely not help me hit that goal. So, I mean, it'll help, but it won't get me there. On its Are own. you able to live off of it currently? Is it fully supporting you? Yep. Yeah. It, it supports me. It That's just great though. get me to that like 25k a year saved level. But yeah, no, it is no, great. No, but the fact that it's support like how did you get it to there? Like what it, where does it, it, is all the money just as you said um coming from like just give me a breakdown cuz I don't really understand the whole affiliate world and I'm, mm. I'm sure some of my listeners don't either. You know, I've been my entire freelance career has been freelance uh like consulting, client work and okay. it's only been this year that I'm kind of switching to products and information and that kind of thing. So like, just give me the breakdown of like how your site makes you money. Sure. Yeah. So, um, say I like write a tutorial for something and then there's a product I use that happens to have an affiliate program. So if they do, you'd put a link that has kind of like your little tagging information on it to Mm -hmm. their product. And if somebody goes through it and buys it, then you get a part of that sale. So it doesn't increase the price for the customer. Uh, often you actually be able to get like a discount from the advertiser as as like the partner yourself, and then you just get a cut of that. So um, I learned from Pat Flynn how to do this. Basically, mm-hmm. he was building his site, and he's like, "Here's all these cool tools I use, and they all work really well for me. And if you want to try them out, go through my link, and I'll get a cut of that." So I do that with uh, some of my own guides and tutorials. And beyond that, right now the site doesn't generate income. Like, well, I don't so have... and who who is buying? Because again, we we talked about this last time you and I talked that you picked a niche of people who have no money. <laughs> so, like college mm. students, typically, you know, uh, don't have a ton of money. So, are these college students that are buying um, these? Uh, your or clicking on your affiliate links and stuff? Yeah, it's it's some students. There are some. I I think I have a fair amount of post grads who actually do read the site, mm. which is okay. a little weird. But honestly, it makes sense. Because even though I have the word college in the domain, a lot of what I write about isn't only for students. Like if I write an article about networking or if I write an article about scheduling and and task planning, anybody can use that. And I've come to an important realization. Uh, And this happened a few years ago. But I I was honestly struggling before I graduated with the the, concept of running the business as a not like non-student. 
Mm-hmm. because I'd be like, well, I'm not in the trenches anymore. I'm going to become out of touch and become an old man. And how would I write for students? Uh, what I've realized is college is just like this bundle of opportunities that you get to sort of immerse yourself in for four years or more. But it's not what defines you. And much of what you learn there is useful if you're not a student. Yeah. You know, like I can write an article about how to sign up for classes. That's useful to students. But the grand majority of what I'm going to write about, you know, how to learn more efficiently, manage money, network with people, all that stuff. You don't have to be a student to learn from that. So if I'm like, here's an article on how to set up your own blog and start building an online presence, that could be useful to anybody. Right. Yeah. I mean, do you think I don't know where your where your brain is going with this, but do you see um, do you see more and more of your content being less? college specific in that way where it's certainly applicable to college students but it's also as you just said applicable to anyone and less content that is only applicable to college students like some of the stuff that you have done over the last couple of years interestingly enough it's getting more focused on students than it used to be really like the in what way like for this um so the fu- the funny thing i didn't really write a whole lot on like studying or textbook reading or taking notes or anything like that when I was a student because Hmm. when I was a student I did things like read the four-hour work week and went to conferences and cool things like that like I was only like 10% concerned with my classes yeah you know I was like just get get good enough grades to where my transcripts aren't embarrassing I'll set like a 3.5 GPA goal and then the rest of my time is going to be dedicated to anything else like personal development networking all that kind of stuff so I wrote about that kind of stuff uh, I wrote about technology and I wrote about business and, and money management and personal branding, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then I graduated and realized I have this college website that I want to be the best one you know, out there, but I don't have any content on studying and textbooks and all that kind of stuff. So I've been really focusing down on that. So why have you, you said actually it's the opposite that you, you started, it's going in the other direction, like you're focusing more on college students. What's the strategy behind that given like as we said, you know, that, that group of people typically doesn't have a lot of money. Like, um, it would seem like the better strategy would be to go, you would be to write the kind of articles that are sort of life lesson articles that are applicable to anyone, but, um, you're going the other direction. So what's, what's the strategy behind that? Honestly, it's not really a strategy. It's more like, I'm just kind of following my heart. Like Mm -hmm. I know I want to help students and I get emails every single day with questions uh, from students that I didn't cover yet. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody asks me like, how do I, how do I cut down on test anxiety? Well, if I haven't written an article about that, you know, I have a reader who wants to know and I care to help students. So I need to create that. Yeah. Um, and like you said, you know, I don't want to be too motivated by profit because mm-hmm. that kind of sucks a lot of the creativity out of it. Sure. If, if like by, you know, an ancillary benefit can come from it that I make money. That's awesome. But what I really want to do is I want to build a resource that helps students reach their goals. That's my number one goal. Um, well, how do you attach <laughs> the, where, so where does the, I guess if you're going that direction though, you also have these goals for income. So right. where, what's, what's your plan for getting that income then? So long-term uh, speaking, yeah. which a school can pay you sometimes five, even more than that thousand dollars for a speech Mm -hmm. so if i throw in like eight to ten speaking gigs a year that's another you know 50 50 grand yeah essentially on the top of that um the bigger my author platform gets the more likely it is that a large publisher would be willing to take me on for publishing a second book 
So I wrote the first book. The initial goal was to be a free guide for my subscribers. And it was going to be like a guide, not a book. It was going to be less than 10K words. Um, But I I had this 500 500 word per day goal to write every single day. And that goal kind of made the book balloon to 26,000 words. So Mm -hmm. now it's book length and I can call it a book. But it's cool now because even though it's free, I can track the download numbers, I can get feedback on it, and then I can go to a publisher and say, hey, look, I already wrote a book. I already have hard numbers on who read it, who likes it, that kind of thing. Yeah. And that could be a viable source of income for me as well. Like, I could potentially go the full-time author route if I wanted to um, with this so, groundwork yeah. I'm playing. Yeah, so you're thinking, so you're still thinking, though, that the site... You, the College Info Geek website, even though that's the brand you're building and for yourself, you're not you're not trying to directly monetize. You know, I hate that word, but uh, you're not trying to <laughs> directly make money from the site. It's more indirect, where the like the site kind of brings you a bit of the audience, but um, and a bit of the platform. But the way you're hoping to make money is. Um, what you can do with that platform, like you said, you know, you could turn that into uh, speaking gigs or book deals or, you know, whatever. But but things that are, you know, um, sort of ancillary to the site. Right. Exactly. Okay. That's pretty much the entire strategy. And that's why I don't I don't have ads on my YouTube channel at all yet. I don't yeah. know if I ever will. Um, I, I just think it's maybe more more strategic long-term, less strategic short-term to do it that way. It's not going to bring me, you know, I'm, I'm giving up some money now, but I think it's building more goodwill, more accessibility, and has the potential to push me further in the future as yeah. the, the platform builds, you know? Yeah. Well, so we, you know, also, one, one, the way that this works for you with the affiliate stuff, um, you have to have a decent-sized platform or audience to make a decent amount of income from affiliate stuff. So right. and we we talked before about like the size of your mailing list and the number of people that visit your website and everything, but how long did it take you to get there with that site? This is an extremely tactical question which I really <laughs> don't talk about on the show at all, but you I'm just curious like you know, um when you started this site was that your did you have this point here in mind? Um and so that's two questions, you know, when you started it, what was the goal? And then how long did it take to get to where, you know, you could, you could make enough money to live on just from affiliate sales and things? All right. Okay. So two questions. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Are you ready to hear my in-depth business tactics, <laughs> online marketing, hustle, crush it? <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> uh, let's start with how it started it then. It was not at all started to be profitable, full-time, anything like that. Nothing of the sort. The reason I started it is because I found a couple of blogs my freshman year, like Lifehacker, and then there was a smaller one called Hack College, specifically for students. And it was helping me immensely in my student life. Like all these cool planning techniques and hacks and these things that these current students were writing about, I was able to like use in my own life. And I was also coming up with things on my own at the same time and I was, I was being trained for a summer job that I was gearing up to start as an orientation assistant at the, at the school I went to. So it would be my job to you know, give tours, help students sign up for classes, all that cool stuff. And uh, the requirement for the training was to basically become an expert on the university, but also 
you know, just any questions students might ask. So I was yeah. like, hey, I could probably write for a blog like that too because I'm learning all this stuff. And I was an MIS major. So that's IT. You know, yeah. My goal was to be like a wizard in the basement of some big corporation running all the computers and <laughs> that's that's what I was going to ask you is what what did you <laughs> what did you want to be you know because obviously this wasn't what you had in mind like going into college or growing up you know what did you originally think that you were going to be doing Yeah it's funny um I was in I was in Business Professionals of America when I was in high school and I got on the state officer team and I actually really loved public speaking when I did it but for some reason my brain went no Tom you ought to be a corporate IT dude because <laughs> I guess like looking like looking at all the computer screens that Tank had in the Matrix kind of like made me want to be that. Like I want to have 15 monitors and be a, I don't know, yeah. What's well, also safer? I mean, that's you know, I've talked with a lot of people on this show that I feel like all of us, you know, there's there may be a thing or multiple things or whatever that we we really enjoy and like for you maybe mm-hmm. you thought public speaking, but for some reason, there's this part of our brain that goes, no, you could never do that. You know, you're not ever really going to be able to make a living from that. You know, IT, much safer. Also, probably a lot more money. And you don't even realize that you're you're convincing yourself to do that. Um, But but we do. We kind of bury the things that we are really, truly interested in for some reason, Mm -hmm. because we just don't believe that whether it's self-doubt or whatever, we just don't believe we can do it, you know? And yeah. I'm not so sure it was that too much. I think it really was that I had a huge interest in computers and computer systems. Yeah. Um, like I was watching shows like the IT crowd and I would like yeah. <laughs> try to set up like the most complicated desktop widgets and stuff to make my computer look crazy. And I, I was in love with it really. Yeah. Um, but it was very much a romantic image of that job. Yeah. And then, so I started the blog on the side and my goals were two, two, two goals. One to just share what I was learning. And then two, I, I figured that I would be able to like show recruiters that I was a little bit, you know, ahead of the game in terms of involvement in projects. Yeah. I wanted to be able to say, Hey guys, I did a thing that wasn't classes and wasn't an internship and I built it myself and maybe I could do some coding and some like customization to show that I know some web development. So that was the goal. And then I did my internship after my sophomore year at a big corporate company, like everything I wanted. I was so excited. I was like, they put me right in the computer networking department. This is exactly where I wanted to be. And I was so sure that my job was going to be like running around the corporate campus and like stalking through the tunnels underground between buildings and like wiring up servers and stuff. My job was actually sitting in a cubicle for 10 hours a day. (laughs) Yeah. Changing settings in the firewalls. (laughs) Yep. And before okay. I ha- before I could change the setting, I had to document exactly what I would do and then send it up through three different bosses. So I got a rude awakening. <laughs> and I was very glad that it was a, an internship at that point because it almost felt like a prison sentence. And I, I hate to say it because my coworkers were awesome. You know, I, the, my, the mentor that helped me get the job was awesome. I got so much, you know, value and, and knowledge from him. And everyone helped me out so much. But then I just, I had to realize that the work is not for me. Number one, yeah. it wasn't what I expected. Number two, I started learning about myself and I learned that I'm not a maintainer. I'm a builder. Yeah. And corporate IT infrastructure people, they're maintainers for the most part. You know, once the systems are up, then you have an entire army of people who make it work and keep it working. Yeah. That's not me. I need to build. So luckily at this time came the first like thing that put my site on the map, which is actually ridiculous. 
Uh, I went home for the summer and I was living with my parents. It was very close to the internship. And I was very sad to move away from my dorm (laughs) because Mm -hmm. my desk at my dorm was gigantic and had all this awesome space for all my computers. And the one I had back home was super tiny. So I endeavored to build a new one. But I gave myself a challenge. Uh, The challenge was don't let the desk touch the floor. Okay. (laughs) Because, Because I was like... Very much thinking in this. Uh, have you ever played the game? Oh, what's the game called? Where you have to like move the cars around in the gridlock? I think it's called gridlock. Oh. Sounds very familiar. I don't know if I played it though. I don't think I have. Well, I, I was very much in that mindset with my dorm because you have so much limited space. Oh yeah. And yeah, I was I like, re- I gotta find the perfect configuration of furniture in the dorm. Yeah. Uh, the desk was always the most annoying thing because it was so freaking big, and the only place you could ever go was under the loft bed. So I was like, what if it didn't touch the floor so I could have storage space under it? So I was like, I'm going to hang a desk off my loft bed. I'm going to build one that hangs from chains. And I went to Home Depot, bought all the ingredients. Ingredients. I'm like baking a desk right now. (laughs) All the materials. (laughs) Took pictures of it all. Next day, turns out Lifehacker posted it on their blog. Wow. And then I got a zillion, bazillion views. (laughs) So That's crazy. So that started some of the traffic for your site. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and like any viral spike, you know, it goes down. But I think a lot of people, you know, experience these kind of viral spikes that put them on the map. And then once it goes down, like you've kind of gained like a core new audience. That's a fraction of what the spike was, but it's a, like a magnitude bigger than what your previous audience was. So that's really what started, sort of like put it on the map and made me think, oh man, I need to start doing this more because it's cool to get recognition. So during the uh, summer I did the internship, I was like writing 20 to 30 articles a month on top of that and just working my butt off. And these were all like kind of like the desk article kind of aimed at your fellow college students or more like life hacker type articles? Uh, I I would say more the life hacker kind of thing. Yeah. Like I didn't consider myself a typical student. So, you know, there was some DIY stuff. I made this crazy loft bed that like hung from the ceiling sort of in my room when I was an RA. And that was a fun tutorial to do. And then I just, I just basically any topic I thought was interesting to me or would be useful to students I wrote on um, and just kept it going. Cool things happened. Like Adobe wanted to fly me out to their, their conference in LA to cover it as a blogger. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so they flew cool. me out there yeah. and I took a bunch of pictures and video and wrote posts on it. And I guess it just sort of like put it, the idea into my head that this maybe while I probably couldn't get like to the superstar level where all these people are making a living off of it could result in interesting things happen or happening. And I like interesting things. So that's, that's where you've ended up. You, you know, you, maybe you wouldn't consider yourself at a superstar level yet, but you've ended up where you can make a living from it. Yeah. And what I've, what I've realized is as, as you get more validation and as you achieve more goals, more things start to sound plausible where they once seemed impossible. Oh yeah. I think when we're, when we're still on like the set path, like the curriculum that has been set before us by other people, then people who are outliers, they seem like they're in impossible positions. But once you do something, maybe even if it's not that big, once you do something that puts you in a position that's not on the set track, it kind of like unlocks that thing in your brain where you're like, Oh People in crazy situations aren't weird aliens with mega superpowers from Megatron. Like you can just work really hard and and some like some measure of luck comes into it, but you can get there too. So, yeah, it is interesting. You know, that's the thing I've noticed about like 
people who are far more experienced in business than I am, like they think a lot bigger. You know, like I, I think I said this to Josh Shipp on a previous episode of the show that I was like, you know, I think oh, I could make this little thing and I could sell it for like hundred dollars or something. And, and, yeah. you know, and then, but a person who's been, you know, in like real legit business for a few years, they're like, I'll make that thing and I'll sell it for $1,500 or something. You know, like they just think mm-hmm. way bigger and I'm like, what? You're crazy. You know, but then they do, <laughs> you know, and like, like they just think they just don't, they don't let. Like, I don't know. There's like this area of their brain that, and it's probably just experience, but they're just not constrained by what everyone else is doing or what, what, what is typical just because this is what everyone else is doing and this is what they're charging for. It doesn't mean that's what you have to do, you know? And once you do that and you realize this can work, you're right. It just, it kind of opens your mind up to all sorts of possibilities. So Mm -hmm. at what point then did you start, you know, I mean, so the, the blog was growing I mean, what was the size of your your audience and traffic when you started making enough money to to live off of? Oh, maybe eight hundred visits a day. I want to say potentially. Really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, now it's closer to five to six thousand. So there was another yeah. really big spike. Uh, well, not I wouldn't call it a spike, but around October of this year. Um, I really took to heart Sean McCabe's lessons on consistency, mm-hmm. started putting out a piece of content, like a podcast and a video and a blog post every single week. And that just made the site blow up and I had no idea it was going to happen. But man, <laughs> if that's one big testimonial for consistency, uh, basically quadrupled my traffic yeah. within the span of a couple months. Were you living off of it before that though? Before yes, you started I was. doing it? Okay. Yep. And, and back then it was just podcasts and blog posts. Um, it was, you know, it was good income that kept me, you know, it, it was full time for me, but it was also staying the same. Yeah. So uh, I guess like I just got into my head that I, I needed to challenge myself more. I got kind yeah. of into this, this, you know, this mindset where I didn't really push myself too hard for a while. Yeah. You know, I was still keeping it going. But one of the biggest values I always had was like I never wanted to rest on my laurels. And I never wanted to get comfortable. And I think I let myself get there. So mm. like October, maybe September, I started getting out of that mindset. And I was like, all right, it's time to see like if we can take this to the next level. Yeah. And that's what's what I've been working on. Yeah. So um, so your book that you wrote, is that is that something that you did through Amazon or it's just available on your site for people to sign up? Or like how do people get that? Yep, it's on my site actually. So if people sign up, then they just get the first autoresponder with the link to like a secret little page. Mm-hmm. And then that has uh, the book in PDF, EPUB, and Mobi. So I wanted to make it available to read on basically any device. Has that, so uh, writing that and releasing that, have you seen, has that been a boost as well for you? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you could say that. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, um, understatement <laughs> would be yes, basically. You could. Yeah, uh, here's some perspective. Before that, my my newsletter probably took like two years to go from 2,000 to 3,000. Yeah. And it, it was like seven to 10 subscribers a day. Uh, I released the book and almost immediately subscriptions shot up to 100 a day. Yeah. And within the last two months, we are now closing in on 11,000 subscribers. Wow. So, That's crazy. And these are mostly, would you, uh, do you know anything about these people? Are they mostly college students? I mean, because the book is about you know, 
how to well the title is 10 steps to earning awesome grades with while studying less right yeah i would imagine they are um you know actually yesterday just yesterday i learned that google analytics analytics has like demographic features yeah but you have to enable them Mm. (laughs) yeah and then it was like you should probably update your privacy policy if you're going to enable these so i need to do that i my privacy policy doesn't say that i'm going to collect demographic information so maybe i should say that there first Mm -hmm. so right now my like one and only way or i guess my two ways of telling who signs up are the people who email me which right when they get the first autoresponder it says hey uh, reply to this. Let me know what your goals are. You know, if, I, if there's anything I can help you with, it helps me create better things. And a lot of people respond to that. So I get um, a lot of emails from actually high school students mm-hmm. who are looking to go to, to college in the future. I'm getting a, actually a lot of people who are in that situation, a lot of students. And then the occasional person who's like, hey, I'm not a student, but I like your stuff and it's helpful to me. So yeah. And then I can also look at, I can just like scroll down the email list and look at how many EDU emails there are. And sure. those are kind of a dead giveaway. Yeah. So, well, that's yep. amazing, man. I mean, that's it's kind of an amazing story that you you kind of in a way stumbled into this, and that's not to say that you that you're not mm-hmm. talented. I don't mean it in that way. I mean, clearly you are, but you've kind of stumbled into this a little bit with like you know you did the site, you didn't really think it was going to be anything, and you're just kind of follow you're just kind of following your interests, and they've all kind of paid off. You know, that's the right. thing is that you know. Um, Sometimes you can follow your interests and it's just, uh, it does not pay off. <laughs> it just uh, leads you off a cliff sometimes, but, um, mm. but this has all been working out. And so, I mean, I guess the, you know, the, the immediate future, you said you're planning on, you're planning on moving and, um, is, is your goal to kind of kickstart the, the speaking and the, you know, book writing stuff as soon as possible, or what's, what's the plan to get, to get there since that's sort of your longer term, you know, income strategy. Yeah. So I guess the, you know, the next big goal is the uh, next book. Yeah. And what I'm finding is, is YouTube videos take a lot of my time. So it's not like I can just sit down every day and work on this, but the steps involved right now at this point, um, I'm going to survey my audience pretty soon to say, can I get some feedback on the book? Um, Get all those collected. And then I need to sit down and really make like a table of contents and outline for my next book idea. I have the like general idea in my head, but it needs to be solid so I can make a proposal. And then, then from there you get a, you make a query letter to get an agent. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got some, I've got some people in my network who are authors and they said they'd be happy to like look over my query letters. So once I get an agent, then we start looking for a publisher. Now is this book, um, is this one going to be as focused on college students as the last one was, or will this one try to be aimed at a wider audience? It will be focused on students, but what I want to do is bring in a lot of psychology and science and history and and things that you typically don't find in a student book. So it's not going to be the naked roommate and it's not going to be how to get into Harvard. It's going to be, here's, you know, scientific psychology and studies on how your brain works and here's how you can parlay that into great productivity and you know great work habits so i'm hoping that it'll be like student focused but applicable to a wider audience and we'll see what a publisher thinks about it (laughs) that's awesome man i don't know i don't know though i don't i i you maybe you might find that um, a lot of people are finding that you know the self-publishing route is is actually a lot more lucrative than the published route, although I understand the allure. I mean, I've always wanted to be a writer since I was a kid too. And I, I spent years as a journalist, um, 
because that was as close as I felt like I could get. But um, but th- so there is certainly the allure of having an actual real printed book from a publisher with your name on it on a Barnes and Noble shelf. But yes, if you if you if you knew that you would make more money by self-publishing, would you go that route or are, is it is it just one of your dreams or goals to have that, you know, actual published from a real publishing house book on a Barnes and Noble shelf? Yeah, that one. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. it's always been one of my dreams to be able to go into a bookstore, uh, grab a coffee and then see a book I wrote on the shelf. So yeah. even if I could make 10 times more money, yeah. I wouldn't do it. Really? Okay. No, because I know, you know, I can... I can do this project and then I can do the next one and the next one could be a self-published thing. The next one could be a course and I could sell that for a hundred dollars or something, you know? Yeah. So I, I really want to be able to say, yes, I got a book published. It's on shelves and, and all the cool stuff that comes with that. Um, you know, it, it does a lot more to build your platform than a self-published book does. Yeah. Just that's, that's the way the world works. Like I could make more money probably off a self-published book, but there's nothing like, a big publishing house publishing something of yours to get your name out there. Yeah. And I'm all about interesting interactions and cool things happening. So yeah, I can see self-published book generating income, which is numbers on a page. That's not all that interesting. You know what I could do with that might be interesting, but another, like the other route seems more interesting and more unknown and fun. Well, but just because that's one of your goals, your goals is to have a published, you know, be, be a traditionally published author. And it sounds Mm -hmm. like, you know, once you've accomplished that, then, then maybe you'll be, you know, maybe then you'll go the self-publishing route and, and you'll, you'll go whatever is more profitable at that point. But, but even if this made you no money, it's just a goal that you have to accomplish. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's and exciting, that, that ties in with the retirement goal. You know, once you make that level of income where you're comfortable with that, you know, keeps your your standard of living going, then you can do whatever is interesting, whatever yeah. is fun. And I don't have my retirement goal set, but I'm at least making enough to where I'm not going to be out on the street tomorrow. So yeah. I have the liberty of, of taking the creative and interesting route, which I'm very thankful for. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. That's uh, that's that's all really exciting stuff. Um. And I think I want to say thanks for coming on the show and talking about it. I know this one was a little bit more tactical than usual, but I was really fascinated how, you know, you at such a young age have been able to build what you built. And so um, that's just all really interesting, interesting stuff to me. So, I mean, congrats on all the it seems like you're you're just picking up more and more um, notoriety or at least from um places you know you mentioned the fox news and different things that that could actually just get your name further out there and that's uh that's great i mean you're off to you're off to a great great start i wonder it's it's exciting i imagine it's exciting being 23 you know i'm 35 thinking you know where things will be at 35 you know uh 12 years from now um because uh, you're just you're just off to such a great start, man. I mean, when I was 23, I wasn't thinking about any of this stuff. So mm. when I was tw- <laughs> when I was 23, I, I was hopeless romantic. I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to write the great American novel, and 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 that's all I did all day was sit and read, and you know, take classes on Milton, and you know, poetry and <laughs> stuff like that. You know, dude, I wish I could read all day. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, that's that's what I that's what I spent my college years doing, and and taking out massive amounts of debt to do it. Um, mm. And then you know, obviously, that didn't doesn't provide a great career path. But I wouldn't have wanted a career path anyway. So yeah, 
definitely. But that's uh, that's really cool, man. Well, like I said, thanks for coming on the show, and um, and that's a you know, good luck with all the with all the all the stuff. When are you starting <laughs> this new book? Like, when have you decided it's, I'm starting it at such and such a time? I have not. Uh, usually, I would have a date set, um, but things are going to be pretty hectic the next couple of months because I got this trip to New York, uh, which will. Be, I mean, as we record this, I'm leaving tomorrow for it, and then. My girlfriend and I are going to Japan in May. Yeah. It'll be her first time there. So once we get back from that, then I'll start like building a solidified plan of attack on all that stuff. Right now, I'm just trying to prove to myself that I can, in fact, be consistent on a long-term basis with YouTube, which is definitely paying off. So I don't want to jeopardize that, but yeah. it will definitely happen. And uh, yeah, thanks for talking with me, man. And I know we're going to talk again. So we'll probably get into more philosophical, fun stuff in that conversation. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Thomas. I appreciate it. Yeah, dude. Well, that was it. That's the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Thomas, for coming on the show. Be sure and go check out uh, the show notes at avclark.com slash 43 and get the link to the episode of Thomas's show, which is out today, where he interviewed me, and we had just a completely different conversation than this one. So it's it's a really uh, a good two-parter, if you will, a good good uh, back-to-back thing to listen to. So check that out if you want to. Follow along on Twitter at Av Clark and Facebook. And most of all, if you like this show, I would love a rating and review in iTunes. It really helps other people find the show. I know I say it every week, but it really does help. So if you have a minute to do that, I'd appreciate it. And also tell people about it. That also really helps too. Uh, last thing is get on the list because I do send out stuff to the list. And, you know, if you want to be part of the inner TGM family, the inner circle, then go to avclark.com and get yourself on the list. All right, well, that's all I've got for you today. I, As I said, I hope you're having a great Monday, a great week so far, and looking forward to the other shows this week. We've got some good ones coming up. Be sure and check back for that. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. I'm sort of just an old guy with a big tongue. That's I'm just a big old tongue old man. That's all that is. Um, that's sort of how many words am I at?